the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to continue our look at candidates and issues that you'll find on your November ballot today. Alyssa Slotkin represents Michigan in the 8th Congressional District right now. She's running to be the first congresswoman in the newly drawn 7th District that includes much of the state's center. And Martel Bivings is an African-American Republican who is running to represent Detroit and suburban Wayne County in Washington. We will catch up with both of them today to hear about their campaigns. That's next on Detroit Today. But right now, the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Getting closer to Election Day here in Michigan, and there are at least a couple congressional races that look like they're heating up. One of those races is the new Michigan 7th District, which includes Lansing and much of the center of the state. And while that race has some particularities, there are a lot of issues facing voters all across the country that are equally relevant in that new 7th district. Voters are concerned about inflation and rising prices. And a lot of voters across the country and in the state are pretty terrified of what the world will look like now that the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Uh, What is a future like with women unable to have access, good access, to abortion rights. Last week, we talked with Tom Barrett, who is a Republican and Michigan state senator who is running in the 7th District. We talked to him about a couple of these issues. He talked about his military background, the problem as uh, he sees it with the inflation that we're experiencing, and what he sees as an issue of migrants trying to enter the country at our southern border. In addition to all of this, Barrett called out his opponent, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, for supporting President Biden's policies. Well, today we have the flip side of that conversation. Uh, Congresswoman Slotkin is here to respond to some of what State Senator Barrett said about her and her campaign, and of course, to talk about who she is and why she's running in this newly drawn 7th Congressional District. Uh, Congresswoman Slotkin, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Thanks. It's great to have you here. So uh, you have been in Washington for a few terms now. Uh, Tell us why you're running again, why you would like voters to elect you again, and tell us about this move to the the newly drawn, I should say, 7th Congressional District. Yeah. Well, you know, I ran in 2018 for the first time after being really um, pretty apolitical, frankly, and, and working for both Democrats and Republicans in my former life in national security um, at the CIA and the Pentagon. Um, and I ran because I just, at that point, felt like the 2016 presidential campaign just felt different. You know, the vitriol and the polarization felt different. Well, fast forward 
um, you know, a couple of terms, as you said, and I, I don't, I just feel like the country is going through something. You know, it's just going through, I think, a really difficult moment in our history, and we will get through it. I, I'm not one of these pessimists that, you know, thinks our, our democracy is over, but we're going to get through it via engaged citizens and principled leaders. And, um, you know, politics wasn't my, my number one chosen profession. I was, you know, in the national security world. When, when things, when the ship is righted, um, I'm happy to get back to, to other things. But right now, I just feel like we need as much decency as we can get in Washington. So, so talk about the things that are driving that from, from your chair. Obviously, uh, as I mentioned in the open, we've got the Supreme Court uh, overturning nearly 50 years of precedent with regard to uh, abortion law in the country. And, and look, this is a, a divisive time as well uh, over a lot of other things in our country, as you, as you point out. But, but be specific about what you see as the, I guess, the, 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 the five alarm issues that, that, that you're encountering in Washington. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's um, a couple of things. Number one, I mean, I think for me, my mission can be encapsulated with protecting and expanding the middle class. You know, which is what Michigan basically invented for the country, right? This idea you can work on a, on a in an auto plant and then afford the car you were making. And I just see a squeeze on the middle class for a whole bunch of reasons, including inflation. Um, I see a lot of people fearful that our, we're going to be rolling backwards on our rights, that maybe we hit the apex of our rights in this country and maybe we're rolling back, as you mentioned with Roe v. Wade, as, as maybe the first of other things that are going to be taken on by the Supreme Court. Um, I think um, people feel very concerned about the future of our democracy. Um, but for me, I think at, at the end of that, especially coming from Michigan, is I just don't think we have a positive way forward in this country without two strong parties with empathy who just have very different views on the role of government in our lives. And we've gotten away from that push and pull that made decent policy, and we've turned it into a divisive you know, cultural war um, that I just think is completely unhealthy for the country. So, so what is the solution to that issue? Like, what is the what? What's the 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 way that we defuse the arguments that we're having in this culture war and get back to, you know, specific issues? I mean, we we, we talk about this kind of all the time. How divisiveness is distracting us from the work that needs to be done uh, in Washington. But but people feel really passionately about the things that they're arguing about right now on both sides, right? Uh, I, I think uh, liberal Democrats feel very strongly about about what's, what's going on and want things to be different, uh, as do very conservative uh, voters. So, so what's the answer to that? Yeah, I mean... For me, and I think passion is good, and by the way, both sides believe very deeply that what their passion is because they're patriotic, right? They want uh, the country to be better. And so I, I think that's a good starting point. It's better than the alternative, which is giving up on the country, right? So I think that's a, a decent starting point. But I, I think for me, um, we've got to get back to a point where we can actually have conversations and real debates about ideas. Um, and to me, that starts with, you know, having... Um, those ideas be central to our campaigns, right? As opposed to just like attack ad, attack ad, you know, sh- squacking each other on Twitter 
throwing bombs. And I, I think for me, um, we do that by electing enough decent people on both sides of the aisle that we start bringing that conversation back to things that really help people. Yeah. And that's not easy, but for me, you know, I, I am a Democrat, so I look across the aisle at the Republicans right now, and I'm, I'm, you know, the most bipartisan member of the Michigan delegation, the ninth most bipartisan in the entire House of Representatives. But I look across the aisle, like let's say it's the Michigan Republicans, and I feel like they've really lost their way, right? And they're clearly having this internal debate about what trajectory they want. You know, who do they want to be? Do they want to be kind of the more extreme MAGA side of things, that pro-Trump thing, or do they want to kind of get back to that conservative, traditional Republican approach um, to the point where they almost came to blows in August in their convention? For me, I can't fix their party, right? I, I'm a Democrat. But what I can do is make sure that when they put up extreme candidates who don't represent the majority of pragmatic Michiganders, that they're going to lose in November, right, up and down the ticket. So that hopefully losing makes them take stock, think about what to do in a swing district, in a swing state, and find a better path other than stoking hate for other Americans. I'm talking with Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin right now. She represents... Michigan's 8th district in Washington. She is one of the candidates, though, to represent this newly drawn 7th congressional district, which includes Lansing uh, and uh, many of the surrounding areas in the center of the state. We're talking about her campaign. We're talking about politics right now in Washington, uh, how difficult uh, they are, how difficult it is to get things done, uh, and what we do to kind of step away from some of the cultural aspect of our politics and focus on solutions, focus on actual legislation that will address some of the issues that uh, make people so anxious right now. We would love to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you make of this 7th Congressional District race? We talked with Tom Barrett, who was the Republican candidate uh, for this seat uh, last week. Now we're talking with uh, Congresswoman Slotkin. Uh, What do you know about these candidates? Do you live in that district? Do you have a question for Congresswoman Slotkin, who is uh, running in that district? Uh, Also, give us a sense of what you think of her record. She's been in Congress since 2019, a couple of terms now. Uh, What do you think about uh, the way she's voted, uh, the things that she's worked on? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Uh, Alyssa, I want to talk about uh, something I I, I saw in an ad, and it was an ad that that was attacking you and your candidacy. Mm -hmm talked about how loyal you are to President Biden. And I always think these are kind of odd ads, right, on either side. Uh, you, you get elected to Congress and and you're part of a party. And if your party is in power, especially in the White House, the expectation inside the party is clearly that you will support the agenda. I'm not sure why that's so much of a, a, a criticism. But I think what people are trying to get at is the idea that people go to Washington and don't think independently, right? That that they are just there to carry water for the party that they uh, that they are a part of. So what I want you to do is tell me 
how you balance those two things, right? There's no question that that the expectation is that you will support President Biden's agenda, just like uh, when President Trump was in office, uh, Republican representatives were expected to do that thing. Okay, but tell me about cases where you said, uh, I, I, I don't think this is the right thing to do, and how you weigh that pressure against the idea of representing the people in your district. If the people in your district don't support the things that the president is doing, how do you make the choice about what you should do uh, as a representative? Yeah, well, I mean, I think those attack ads um, that are all over the landscape and Detroit media market, you know, they're being used in about 20 or 25 different races across the country. Um, and in the case for me, and being quote-unquote 100% with Joe Biden, it's just factually incorrect. Um, and to be honest, as the most bipartisan member of the Michigan delegation, I'm also the member of Congress, a Democrat, who votes most apart from her party than any other Democrat in 435 members of Congress. So it's just not factually correct. And I, well, Can I was, you give us some I, examples of, of sure. times you voted sure. against President Biden? Sure. Well, first of all, I think that when I first came into Congress and consistently, I, I'm one of three Democrats who didn't support Nancy Pelosi for speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but and President Biden, since he's come to office, even as recently as a couple of weeks ago when he announced his student loan plan, I mean, I represent Michigan State, and I certainly feel the pain of college affordability. But I thought his plan was a Band-Aid on a gaping wound and doesn't get at the root problem and doesn't help, for instance, a freshman at MSU right now. So I was very vocal about that. And then just on a, you know, on a weekly basis. So our last voting week, uh, we had a vote on the census, a bunch of things related to the census, and the Republicans had a bunch of amendments. And, you know, I read the amendments. I actually took the time, and there was one of them that made a lot of sense to me, and I was the one Democrat who voted with the Republicans. And I take a lot of heat for that, by the way. It's not a friendly atmosphere um, from your own party when you decide to vote independently. So I, I, it's happened about once a voting week that I vote, you know, against the party in a more moderate or fiscally conservative way, and I'm proud of that. And and how do you think through that as a member of Congress? Again, the, the, these are competing pressures sometimes, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you have constituents back home who believe in what they think is the right thing to do, and sometimes you have uh, an administration in the White House that thinks that thinks differently. For you, which takes priority? So uh, I would say, you know, I've just been asked this issue recently. It's really uh, this question. It's a good one. So for the majority of issues, we'll get emails, we'll get letters, we'll get calls. You know, for, for issues, you get a sense of how the community feels. And in my district, it, it ends up being a lot of times 50-50, right, for and against on issues. But you get a sense of where the majority is. And for a lot of issues, I feel confident in voting with the majority. But there are some issues of principle where it's true. I mean, even in my first term when I was uh, running, in, I was representing a Trump voting district, and I came out in support of impeaching President Trump. I took a lot of heat for that. Um, but it was what I felt on principle was the right thing to do. And I was, you know, okay with the fact that I might not get reelected after I take that, I took that position. So I think it's a balance between, you know, taking the temperature of your district, but then also remembering as an elected leader, you have a responsibility to not just do what the mob tells you to do, the crowd tells you to do, but actually exercise some, some integrity. Hmm. I, I, I want to give you a chance to address another issue that's come up in 
the campaign. Uh, you've received some scrutiny for leasing a home in Lansing, uh, this new district, from a campaign donor of yours. Explain what that's about and, and tell us how you respond to the, the accusations that are being made about it. Yeah, I'm standing outside that home right now. I mean, I, I am like many, many people renting a place. I have a landlord. He lives right now in Connecticut. He works for a local manufacturing firm. I pay fair market rent. There's no impropriety. And I think what uh, Mr. Barrett and has been trying to do is just sort of, in a sort of desperate move, has been trying to, to attack me. He's actually alleged that I was living with this man, which I thought was a bit below the belt. Um, He's now gone after my husband and his income, which is simply literally his pension from 30 years in the Army and then the firm he works for that does work for the Pentagon. So, you know, it's just kind of like oppo season, I guess, in, in campaign world. What's different from the previous two men I've run against is they were just pretty open about their positions on things like abortion, on things like, you know, taking corporate PAC money. We just had different opinions, and we, we were open about that. Mr. Barrett now knows he's in a tough campaign. He's trying to paper over and moderate more extreme views that he's had on things like abortion. Um, his consultants have told him, let's, you know, dis- distract the question, dis- distract the conversation, and do some stuff that I consider pretty sleazy. So, so the, the other issue lurking beneath that, I think, is the suggestion that you've moved to Lansing to run in this district. This is a different district than, than you represented before. I mean, all of the districts are different because uh, we just went through the decennial redistricting process. Uh, but talk about why you're running here instead of where you lived before. Yeah, so I represent right now about 65% of the district. Ingham County and Livingston County are in the 8th district. They're in the 7th district, and we've added on three new counties. Uh, my farm in Holly was uh, was written out of the district by about 15 miles, and the majority of my district is in the 7th. So I did what a lot of people have done. You don't have to move in Michigan, but I did because I thought it was important to live in the community. And I think the point would be Mr. Barrett would be, um, attacking me whether I moved, if I didn't move. So if that's someone's principal issue, right, if that is like, how they're going to vote, I moved to Lansing. I moved to the district, just like he decided not to run in his current Senate seat because it came too Democratic for him to win. Mm. You know, things get rewritten with the census. It's just kind of all part of um, the mixing bowl that goes on when you rewrite districts. So um, I also want to talk just a little about um, about the uh, the support and aid for Ukraine. I know that that okay. you've of course spent your career um, working on uh, you know international affairs and 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 things like that. Uh, talk about what we're doing and and whether we're doing enough. Yeah, well, obviously we're all watching Ukraine as we have another, a second night of missile strikes from the Russians um, in a bunch of of Ukrainian cities. Um, Look, I mean, I was in Kyiv at the end of July. We did almost two hours with Zelensky. Um, It is so impressive to see what the Ukrainians have done in beating back the Russians. And I think Putin really overstepped by trying to take the entire country. Um, And what I think is important is with a leader like Putin, You either stop him now or you're going to be forced to stop him later. And I've been a big proponent of providing the Ukrainians with the arms and materiel that they need to defend themselves and to push Russia out. They've been making important strides. 
I want to make sure we get as much, you know, as many punches in the mouth uh, against the Russians before the winter freeze really sets in. It's harder to fight in that area mm-hmm. during the winter. Um, and I think that it's important that we show up when Russia just tries to take another democracy. If he's not stopped, Putin will just keep going. He's like a four-year-old. You know, if you don't put up boundaries, they're just going to keep going and going and going. So we either pay now or pay later. And so I've been a big proponent of supporting Ukraine. Uh, What about this bridge that was destroyed in Russia over the weekend? The Ukrainians have not taken credit for that. It was clearly terrorism, however, and it was aimed at, you know, making it harder for the Russian army to to do what it's doing uh, in in Crimea. Uh, Talk about... There are people who say that, you know, the Ukrainians are are also aggressors here in that sense, that that they are not innocents uh, being being attacked unjustly by by the Russians. How do you how do you answer that? I mean, um, is it OK well, to I, do what 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 happened this weekend, for instance? Yeah, I just want to clarify that it's not Russia. That is the bridge to Crimea. Right. Right, seized with an illegal annexation in 2014. So maybe we have difference of opinion, but that's not Russian territory. Sure. Um, and um, and look, it was a bold move. We all watched it. It's, you know, it was bold. It was certainly a, a you know a bold decision, and we knew there would be retaliation, and indeed there is um, retaliation. Um, look, no one likes um, when innocent people who are just trying to get across the bridge um, get killed. But that is a principal supply line for the Russian forces in occupied territory. So I, I understand that, and the U.S. military would understand that to be a military target. Um, what is not a military target is indiscriminate bombing in places like the capital city of Kiev mm-hmm. that hits children's playgrounds, right, and hospitals. So I, I um, you know, I no one likes to see escalation, right? We all want the conflict to, to wind down and come to an end. But, you know, if, if we were, as Americans, occupied, if we had a similar circumstance, you can imagine that we would also be looking at the principal route, you know, for a supply line. Okay. Uh, Alyssa Slotkin, current representative in Michigan's 8th Congressional District and hopeful in the new 7th District. It was really great to have you here to talk about your campaign. Thanks, as always, for coming by. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, apologies to the listeners for the kind of wonky connection that we had with Congresswoman Slotkin. I think she was at least understandable, though, and uh, we did get to hear her positions on uh, all these issues as we get closer to November 8th. Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue talking about November 8th. We're going to switch areas of the state and take a look at the 13th Congressional District race here in Detroit and Wayne County. Republican Martel Bivings will join us to tell us why he thinks he should be the next representative in Washington. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. That matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. 
is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The 13th Congressional District has gotten a lot of attention as well here in uh, 2022 as we get ready to vote on November 8th for uh, representatives in our newly drawn congressional districts. Uh, But this one stands out for a couple of reasons. And the biggest is because maybe for the first time in more than 70 years, Detroiters may not have black congressional representation in Washington. Back in 1955, Charles Diggs was the first African-American Detroiter elected to Congress. And since then, there has always been at least one African-American in Congress who represents the city. But this year, State Representative Shreeth Thanadar, who is an Indian American, has won the Democratic nomination for the 13th Congressional District over a really crowded field of African-American Democratic candidates. And while he seems poised to win, he really has not claimed that seat quite yet, right? I mean, we got to wait to vote on November 8th and see how it comes out. Right now, he is being challenged by Republican Martel Bivings, who is an African-American Republican. Now, it's also notable that there are three African-American men who are running as Republicans to join uh, to join Congress uh, in in January. Uh, there are no African-Americans uh, representing the Democratic Party on the ballot for Congress in November. That is a really unusual set of circumstances, and it challenges voters, I think, to kind of sort through what what representation means, what it looks like, and how you want to cast your vote on November 8th. Uh, we are really pleased to have Republican Martel Bivings with us today to talk about this. We are also still working with uh, the campaign of Sri Thanadar to get him to come in to talk about his candidacy as well. But right now, Martel Bivings, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. It's great to have you here with us. So let's start with this. Uh, I think most most voters may not be terribly familiar with you or your work. Uh, tell us who you are and why you decided to run for Congress in the 13th District. That is correct. Um, I'm, a, I'm Martel Bivings, as, as stated. Uh, I'm a graduate of Cody High School, West Side. Uh, I call myself a West Side boy, but, but an East Side man because I was born and reared on the West Side, but I purchased my first home and started my career on the East Side of Detroit. I am um, a graduate of Howard University, where I, I studied political science, legal communication. And it was at Howard <clears throat> that I fell in love with policy and knew that I would be uh, one day uh, running for office. And I fell in love with policy when we reviewed the 13th Amendment. And I said, wow, African-Americans aren't really free in America because the 13th Amendment just said slavery nor involuntary servitude shall be allowed in the United States, comma except if one is duly punished of a crime. And that is when we began the uh, mass incarceration of African-Americans. In fact, in this very moment right now in America, there are more African-American men that are in prison than there were the entire 400 years of slavery. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's language. That's, that's what language has the power to do, to give and to take. And uh, that's when I fell in love with policy, and I said that that is where you can alter lives and make things better. 
in the United States House of Representatives. I'm running in this election cycle because prior prior to the primary, all the way back in January, when I started watching people coming in and saying they would do this and they would do that and they had videos, no one was speaking of to substance. No one was speaking specifically to tax relief. No one was speaking to our senior citizens in the city of Detroit who have homes that they own but need repair and uh, they can't have the funding to repair their roof. No one was speaking to early childhood education. No one was speaking to tax relief and easier pathways for entrepreneurs to merge into entrepreneurship. And I said, this is enough. So I set my personal goals aside and I uh, decided to run. And uh, who knew that I would be Detroit's last chance at uh, representation? I mean, it goes beyond the fact that I'm black. What's really at the core of this is my skill set, my legislative background. I've worked in uh, the United States Senate in Washington for Senator Carl Levin. I worked here in Detroit as a district director, policy advisor to Sherry Gaden Yogo, and a policy analyst for uh, Councilman Scott Benson. And through all those things, I've instituted over six policy changes. I've brought 50 over, I've saved over 500,000 to uh, small business owners in the city of Detroit. And Sheree Tanadar is sitting in Lansing right now, and he has not authored, authored one single bill. He has not created any type of relationships to bring gifts back to his district. He lacks the skill set. And Michigan only will have 13 representatives in, uh, in January. And we need a representative from Detroit who has legislative skill set, has the ability to create relationships, to build upon, and the ability. that The only thing that matters when you're a legislator is your ability to get the governor's signature or the president's signature on a bill, and it brings rewards to your district. And I'm the only person in this race that has that skill set who happens to be black. Mm. I, I will just note for listeners that if you want to know more about what Shreve Anadar have has done um, in in Lansing, and he has sponsored and co-sponsored several pieces of legislation, but but I know what you're talking about in terms of authoring legislation, Martel. Uh, but you can go uh, to the the Michigan uh, legislature website and and you can look all of that stuff up uh, for yourself just to 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 get that information. Okay, uh, Martel, I want to talk about what issues you think are critical. Uh, to to people in this district that you uh, that you want to represent, and what you would do in Washington, and what you would do as a Republican, and we're going to talk a little more about that a little later. Um, but but right here, uh, address the things that you would hope to accomplish and how they fit or don't into the overall agenda of the party that uh, that you're a part of. Well, the overall agenda of the party at the core is to be in power. And you are in power with the number of representatives in the House of Representatives, or you are in power with a majority of uh, United States senators. And how a party stays in power is by crafting policy and getting rewards to the district so that those members can keep those seats. So the Republican Party is going to be, one, just as shocked as I am, as well as Detroit. Like, wow. We got Detroit. We have a Republican from Detroit. What is it that this member needs so that we keep this seat, so that we can stay in power? So that that's first. And one of the things that I'm going to ask the party when they ask me, what can we do for you so we can keep this seat? I say, hey, we need to cut taxes. Taxes need to be cut. 
We need to get back to energy independence, meaning we need to export our oil so we can cut inflation so that my people in Taylor and Romulus and Wayne in Detroit can go to the grocery store in peace, in the gas station in peace. We need to increase early childhood education funding so that people can get back to work and their kids are being taken care of adequately. We need to make it easier for people to merge into entrepreneurship, and we need to cut a lot of these regulations so that people can open and employ people. Because what we've learned in COVID is the number one thing that moves our economy is our local small businesses, and those are things that I will work on, and those are things that I think everyone listening say, I like that, I agree with that. But guess what? Those are Republican tenants, and those are going to be very easy for the Republican Party to support me in getting back to the district because that's what they want for their district. Enhancing education funding, you think, is part of the Republican Party platform? Absolutely, especially when it comes to early child, especially when it comes to giving school choice and giving parents a school choice. Enhancing the education spending could simply mean um, allowing those per pupil tax dollars allotment to follow the child in that. Uh, so so you, you talked earlier about the number of African-Americans who are incarcerated in this country and the tie back to uh, the passage of the 13th Amendment and all of the things that have happened since then. How does that fit into your agenda in Washington? What would you do about it? And again, I w- I what would the Republican Party, how would the Republican Party respond? I, w- I would love to honestly change the 13th Amendment just simply saying that slavery nor involuntary servitude shall be allowed in the United States, period. No exceptions. Uh, in addition to that, we got to get back to family values. We got to get back to strong family values. When we had a black man and a black woman in a household rearing their kids, we didn't have uh, this over-proliferation of violence in our communities. And I know my party talks a lot about at the top about family values, but we're not specifically saying we need to get back to black family values and crafting policies that encourage black families to stay together. And I think that's something they'll absolutely support. Then also, at a high level, the Republican Party, they don't, they don't have a Detroiter in their caucus. They don't have somebody from Chicago in their caucus. They don't have someone from Oakland in their caucus. They don't have someone from Atlanta in their caucus. They don't have anyone from Harlem in their caucus. So somehow... They are in power. However, they do not need uh, the African-American vote to stay in power. So for the first time, they will have someone in their caucus that is from the African-American community that they uh, have become friends with and that they, uh, they go out to dinner with, that they uh, maybe have a cigar with, that maybe they share a cocktail with, and they can say, hey, Bivings, I didn't know that until you told me that. I didn't know that this language affects this group of people until you told me that because in my life, in my day-to-day interactions back in my individual district, I don't interface with African-Americans. So I don't know this. So they don't have anyone in their caucus talking to them about our issues. And they don't need us to move forward. So they don't craft policies for us. But for the first time, Detroit will be at the Republican table. And for the first time, it will be in the Republican Party's interest to keep Detroit at that table so that the party can stay in power. So, so what tells you based on the way that the Republican Party behaves now, that they are interested in uh, the well-being of, of African-Americans in Detroit or Chicago. What, what, what are you taking your cues from there? Uh, 
You know what? When I had Kevin McCarthy, the, uh, the minority leader, which will probably be the uh, leader when he gets in, we were on Livernoise. That wasn't even his plan to come to Detroit when he came. We were on Livernoise talking about African-American small businesses. And by the way, Livernoise on 8 Mile to about the Lodge is the largest strip of African-American businesses in the country. We had Kevin McCarthy on Livernoise because I asked him to come. It wasn't even his interest. Right. But For the first but uh, they will have sorry, so visiting visiting is one thing. I, I guess I'm asking about policy and legislation. What about well, the agenda of the Republican Party says to you they're interested in advancement of African American businesses or African American families? What makes you think they're interested in the well being of cities? My conversations with them, policies uh, such as uh, the Second Chance Act. Policies such as uh, enterprise zones, policies such as lowering taxes for uh, uh, emerging entrepreneurs, policies that remove red tape, policies policies that uh, say you can send your child to whatever school you want to, that better positions the African-American community. And now I get to actually go in there and say, hey, let's craft some policies that's dedicated straight for the African-American community, because what Republicans are going to say is, like, how did you do this in Detroit? And is this mimicable throughout the country? Is it going to make them say, hmm, maybe we should change our playbook? Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Martel Bivings, Republican candidate for the 13th Congressional District. Uh, we want to hear from you as well. What do you make of this 13th Congressional District race between Martel Bivings and Sri Thanadar, who won the Democratic nomination for the seat? Uh, do you have questions for the Republican nominee who's with us now? Uh, also, what do you think should be the political and policy priorities in that race and in this district. Do you think it's important that we have an African-American representing Detroit and Detroiters in Washington, something that we have had uninterrupted since 1955? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest right now is Martel Bivings. He is the Republican who is running for Congress in the 13th District, which represents Detroit and the suburban Wayne County. Uh, we're talking about his plans uh, if he were to be elected in November, talking about how uh, he fits into the Republican Party. We want to hear from you as well. Uh, what do you think of this 13th Congressional District race? What do you make of the role race plays in how we choose who represents us in Washington? And what policy priorities would you have for the next congressperson from uh, Detroit? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation. Martel, I want to go back and, and t- talk about uh, November of 2020 um, when uh, a group of suburban Republicans came down to uh, Detroit, uh, down to where they were counting the votes in the presidential election, 
and tried to disrupt that process uh, because they thought that there was fraud. They thought people were cheating. Uh, they were accusing African-Americans of being part of some sort of conspiracy to steal the election from then-President Donald Trump. I wonder, as a Republican, as an African-American Republican, what that inspired in you? What did that moment say to you about Republicanism? What did it say to you about African-Americans in the Republican Party? I, I, don't, I, don't think it, I don't think there's a parallel with that in Republicanism. The Republican Party is over 150 years old, and I don't think that that moment on that day uh, talks about our history. Uh, who we are, what we are, and move forward. And it doesn't say anything to me about Republicans in uh, the African American community. I don't. It's to me, it's not a parallel. But you have, but you have Republicans who have since that time maintained the position that Donald Trump won the twenty twenty election and that it was stolen from him in places like Detroit, and that voters in places like Detroit who are African Americans were somehow part of a massive conspiracy to steal that. It's not just that moment. It's since then that this has defined so much of Republican politics. In fact, most Republican hopefuls for office are asked that question. Do you believe that Donald Trump won the 2020 election? And if they say yes, or if they say no, in, in many cases, there are consequences for them. So, so it, is, it is about the party, and it is about the party's politics right now, isn't it? No, that's what media, uh, many, many of your colleagues wants to shift our focus to about a person who's not in the party, something that happened four years ago. I asked them the question several times. I don't believe the election was stolen. I worked at the Department of Election on Election Day. I typically work on Election Day at the Department of Election. I think there are a, a host of flaws in our election system. That can be. I think the um, the election was stolen. I would rather talk about the policies and what I want to implement in Washington while I'm in Washington, opposed to talking about it in the past. The, the well, this economy, isn't the past. This is this is right now, Martel. Uh, uh, Matt DiPerno, who's the the Republican candidate for Attorney General, Christina Caramo, who's the Republican nominee for Secretary of State. These are people who are continuing this. And look, let's go back to January 6th of 2021 when uh, when there was an attack on the Capitol to disrupt the counting of votes, to, 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 to say, again, to perpetuate this idea that somehow there was a conspiracy that, that involved people in places like Detroit that robbed Donald Trump of the presidency. I, 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 I just want to, I want you to reconcile that I, with your have, candidacy, if, if you can. I, I have completely reconciled it. When I keep talking about what happened in 2020 or what happened on January 6th or what Christina Caromo doing or, or Matt is doing, that does not help liberate somebody on Mac and Bewick. That does not better position someone on Jefferson and Dick. Doesn't. It doesn't. I, I have people in my district. But do you see what they're doing as an attack? Do you see what they're doing as an attack on those people, people who live at Mac and Buick, whose votes they wanted to disenfranchise? It is not. It is not. As the beauty of an American citizen is you have the right to pursue happiness. And if that is their pursuit, I hope they find happiness. But my pursuit is to make people's lives easier. I have people in my district 
who have tarp on their roof. I can't focus on what Matt is doing. I can't focus on what Christina is doing because it would distract me. And I cannot be distracted. I must be focused and my, my resolve must be solidly focused. Mm. And I can't allow you or any other media people to take me from that focus. Yeah. Because it doesn't help. Me talking about Christina, how does that help them? Well, wow. I guess what I'm trying to get you to do is talk about how you, as a Republican representative, would work with these other Republicans who believe that Detroiters are, are vote fraudsters, who believe and, and, and who pursue policies and are pursuing policies now that would make it harder for African-Americans to vote. What's a policy that would make it harder for African-Americans to vote? Give me an example. Well, I mean, voter ID is, let's start there. I mean, and we, know that's, we know that's not ID. about, we know that's not about ID. That is about trying to make, uh, trying to make sure that, that uh, certain people with certain kinds of backgrounds that make it harder for them to have the kind of ID that's acceptable um, you, to, to, to vote. You know that? There was a there was a vote in the House that said that we would give people in Michigan, every Michigan citizen will have a free voter ID. I do remember Sheree that. Tanadar, mm-hmm. And Sheree Tanadar voted against it. He did. Do you know that if I get pulled over? There was right a lot now, of I'm other things though, in that bill, but you're I, right. I'm, I'm looking for your office right now. I'm looking for your office right now. And do you know that if I got pulled over, my black self on warrant, and I'm, I'm on cast and force, do you know? I got pulled over right now, and I have an ID. I can go to jail. Mm-hmm. I do. So, 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 so. I also know so that it's very hard. It's very hard for people so in certain circumstances to to maintain consistent ID. You know, so in our community. So if I got pulled over, if I got pulled over right now, and I say, "Hey, officer, it's really hard for me to maintain an ID. Please let me go on about my day." Should that officer say, "Keep on driving, sir"? No, but and you okay, think that's then. you think that's analogous okay, to the right to vote. Okay, then you. Sh- I was reared how I was reared for my mother. You're mm-hmm. not even supposed to come out your house without identification. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a lot. So, let me tell you something. I'm going to keep talking about voter. I have at my house right now nine absentee ballots. Nine absentee ballots. I've owned my house for five years and lived there by myself. Why do I have nine absentee ballots at my house now? If I really want to be for sure about where I can get nine votes from, I can mail them back. And do you think that that's... I've worked worked at the polls on election day, and people Mm -hmm. have come in overwhelmingly and said, hey, uh, I didn't mail my voting. I didn't vote by mail. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. coming here to vote. So when when there's a host of people across our country, across our state, in our city, that say that they feel like is going on with elections we as elected officials we have to take them serious sir what they're saying deserves so you do think that there's voter fraud i i don't think there's voter fraud if i have if i'm being elected to represent a a group of people and i have an overwhelming amount of my citizens telling me something's going on with election should i not look into it so you work at the radio station i I don't i don't know your all your job duties if you if your boss is telling you Hey, you need to do this, and you don't. You need to do this, and you need to do this, and you don't do it. Do you think your boss is going to keep you employed? So you think that African Americans in Detroit want you to look into voter fraud? Is that what you're saying? Many of them. Many of them do. Okay. Many of them do. Okay. Okay. Uh, but, it's but, an but, answer but, but to the question. Fraud, but voter fraud. This is this is where we just this is where we're distracted at. Voter fraud at a high level is not the main concern. Somebody sending their child to school to be educated. Someone being able to go to a grocery store and get prescriptions. Sure. Someone being able to go to get gas. And because many of our school systems, 
within the district is not that strong. I have parents driving 35 miles to drop a kid off, to drive another 45 miles to go to school, to do that every day. Mm. They're killing themselves on gas, but your main focus is on election integrity. That is well, not my, what's keeping somebody lights on. My, it's getting cold in Michigan. Gas is going to be higher this winter. My, my focus, my focus is on voting rights. My focus is on voting rights and protecting voting rights. You're right about that. It's not an either or, though. There are lots of other kinds of priorities as well, and you talked about some of those. I'm asking you about voting rights and and voting the, rights is yeah. a very small concern when I knock on people's doors. We have over five hundred and fifty thousand registered voters city of Detroit. We had 75,000 people voting in the primary. Mm-hmm. Voting rights not an issue in the city of Detroit. Let me tell you that. Okay. Come okay. out and vote. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, we're, we agree on that. People should vote and, and they Come should make vote. sure so that no they one vote. Is, yes. No one is attacking anyone's voting rights in the city of Detroit. Yeah. We have Janice Renfrew. She is the, one of the most pro-black African-American people we have in the city. She is a hard worker. She is at the forefront of making sure African-Americans could vote in the city of Detroit. So we do not have a voting rights issue in the city of Detroit. But we did, on, we did in November of 2020. And Janice Winfrey held it down. She, 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 had, to, she had to push back she against a mob that was determined to disenfranchise uh, those votes. They right? were not determined. The people that I've talked to, you see how we're talking about, you, you, we're distracted. This is a distraction conversation. I have not heard anyone describe what happened in November 2020 as a distraction. I've not heard anyone describe not, it that way. You keep on talking about November January, November of 2020, but we're here in October of 2022, mm-hmm. and half my district is struggling. Mm-hmm. struggling. And so, you, you want to keep talking about something that's not going to put food on the table, that's not going to keep people lights on, that's not going to raise the median income from thirty thousand to sixty thousand. You want to talk about well, that's actually not a very clever. That's not a, a very clever uh, distraction that, uh, of your own there to try to make it an either or between voting rights and Sir, and economic issues. I mean, they're all you, important, aren't you, they? If, if if you and I just randomly went in any neighborhood in the city of Detroit and knocked on the door and talked about issues, mm-hmm. I promise you, I would write my mortgage. I would write the house. I'll give you everything I have. <laughs> I promise you, nobody would say, I'm really concerned with what happened in November of 2020. I'm really concerned with January 6th. You know where I was on January 6th? I was on Houston Whittier delivering PPP. Mm. This, no, that's is great. High, yeah. this, is, this is not the top concern of Detroit voters. Okay. Because if it was a concern of top, if this was a concern of every voter in Detroit, we would not have had 75,000 people vote in a city where 550,000 people are registered, sir. Okay. All right, Martel, Bill, uh, Martel Bivings, I, I, I really appreciate I really appreciate being here talking about uh, why you're running for Congress in the 13th Congressional District. Thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with Silicon Valley Congressman Ro Khanna about his new book, Dignity in a Digital Age, and how he believes our changing economy can be more inclusive of blue-collar workers. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. Talk again tomorrow.